Are you in Exodus chapter 2? When we read the seventh chapter of Acts, we see the life of Moses divided into three 40-year segments. First 40 years, nursed by his mother, educated by the Egyptians. Second 40 years, nursed by solitude, educated by God. Third 40 years, nursed by trials and discouragement, educated by the law received from God's own hand. Dwight Moody gave his own spin on the progression of Moses. Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. He spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. Maybe we live in one of those three stages of life at this moment. Maybe we think we are somebody. Or maybe we've advanced enough to realize we aren't as great as we thought we were, when we were as when we were younger. Or maybe we've discovered that God can take a nobody and make us somebody. It's kind of encouraging to know that God never gives up on anyone unless we just totally give up on ourselves. Moses had already blown out 80 candles on his birthday cake before his nobody to somebody realization took root. And only then after excuses that he gave to God when he was called to go. When that finally happened, the seas would boil apart with the power of God radiating through his life. If we learn nothing else in these lessons on Moses, we learn about the first few steps of a man who discovered late in life, but not too late, what it meant to count for God, regardless of his age. Baby Moses entered a world of cruelty, pain, slavery, just plain despair. Nevertheless, life went on for the Jewish people. Men and women married, cradled young ones, tried to carve out a life in this ordeal of oppression and brutality. I suppose there were brief moments of relief, perhaps the occasional feast with leeks and garlic. But don't you know fear and dread shadowed even the best of times. In chapter 2 of Exodus, we read of a marriage celebrated 
under these stressful conditions. I want to welcome you here this morning. It is good to see everyone. If you are a visitor here, it is great to have you. Having you here encourages us. If you're viewing online, we also want to welcome you and invite you back anytime. Like many of you, I like to plan ahead. Lists, calendars, plan ahead. Yes, one of those people. Here is my 2021 calendar I keep in my office across the hall, full of appointments, places to go, things to do that basically I had planned ahead on. So the 22, 2022 calendar is already on my table in there, being filled in. In 2022, I plan to have a dental checkup on January 25th. Kay and I plan to attend Challenge Youth Conference on February 25th down in Tennessee. I've got a Vistar eye check on March 11th. I plan to work on staff at Virginia Christian Camp on June 19th. I plan to present a lesson at Polishing the Pulpit on August 22nd. I have a calendar at home in my study that serves as a house cleaning calendar. And it helps me to remember how long it's been since I cleaned the floors or cleaned the bathrooms or changed the furnace filter. I did housework uh, last Thursday morning so afterwards, I sat down, got my calendar out, and filled it in. On the workbench in my garage is my outdoor calendar. And when I walk, I put down how long I walked. When I hiked, I put down how many miles. Uh, I also like to record when I kayak so I can remember when and where it was if I want to look back. Now, I mention these things to make a point. These plans I make, these events that I record, they mean little in the important scheme of things. James would say it this way, come now you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? And then those piercing words. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. That's from James 4, verse number 13 through 15. Now, while research would indicate that this outdoor movement activity that I like to do is beneficial for my cardiovascular system, in the big picture, hear what Paul says about that. 
for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. 1 Timothy 4. The heart that matters is not the one with four chambers. It is the heart that is dedicated to God. Unless those dates and plans and activities and trips revolve around my creator, they mean nothing. I might as well throw those calendars in the trash can. When I stand on that shore looking for the sweet by and by, it won't matter one iota what trip I had planned, for there is no time there. In just a short time, we're going to sing a song. For our purposes, we'll call it a song of invitation. May we as Christians examine our lives. And if we have fallen away and need to be restored, let's do that. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to become one. Confess your belief that Jesus is the Son of God, Romans 10, verse number 10. Repent of your sins and be baptized for the remission or forgiveness of sins, Acts 2, verse number 38. You realize... When you're baptized, your sins are washed away. Acts 22, verse number 16. When you're baptized, you put on Christ. Galatians 3, 27. You walk in newness of life. That's a nice term, isn't it? Romans 6, verse number 4. Now, part of that newness is you get a new name, Christian. Acts 11, verse number 26. Let us assist you if, any, if you have any need when we sing together shortly. Okay, we want to go to the text, chapter 2, verse number 1 of Exodus. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Moses became a great man of faith, no doubt, because his father and mother were people of faith. They were Levites committed to God, not Pharaoh. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. Hebrews 11, verse number 23. That command was to cast the little boys into the river. That king was the iron-fisted Pharaoh. Stephen, speaking of him in Acts 7, said, This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. Acts 7, verse number 19. Moses' parents feared the God of heaven more than a king on earth. Parents and grandparents, 
May we fear the God of heaven more than the pressures of society, more than the opinions of the neighborhood parents. It may not have been easy to hide that baby boy, but they did just that. They had a reverence for it. They had a confidence in the living God. The parents of Moses saw that he was a beautiful child, a good or well-formed baby. Maybe they saw in him just a unique beauty. Is it possible that God revealed to them in the secrecy of their hearts that this boy was a special baby with a special destiny? Amram and Jochebed knew the grave danger that their baby faced. He needed to be hidden lest Pharaoh's infanticide crew came and threw him into the mouth of a giant water monster, the Nile River, where he would drown or perhaps be eaten. The day came when it was just too hard to keep him hidden. Can you imagine the fear and the tension in that little household while Moses was there? Miriam, Miriam, rock him gently. Keep him quiet so he won't cry. Aaron, move away. Don't stir him up. Shh, quiet. I think I hear someone coming down the path. Verse 3, but when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. Now, we can assume that she placed soft pieces of cloth or perhaps hay inside to make it less stark and more comfortable. No doubt with a broken heart, she placed the basket among the reeds. And for river plants, I would picture these reeds as fairly sturdy plants where the little basket would stay in place. I will allow myself to picture her wading out into the river putting her precious child in that basket of hope in a special place among those reeds. Now, Jochebed was a woman of faith, but not a foolish faith. She had a plan, no doubt. I believe she did. I believe this mom had identified certain habits of Pharaoh's daughter. In a certain place, at a certain time, oh, there she is again. She's come to bathe again, down by the river. If I put the basket just in the right spot at the right time, she or one of her maidens will see it. Or at least hear the baby crying. Verse 4. 
And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Do you think maybe Miriam and and, uh, Jochebed rehearsed this whole thing prior? That they went down prior to this time and just kind of played out what was going to happen, where Miriam would stand, how she would act, what she would say when the basket was found. I don't know if there's any other scriptures uh, anywhere else to figure out how old uh, Miriam would be at this point, the sister. My guess would be that she would be Virginia Christian camp age, like 9 to 18. Girls, imagine being the big sister, Marion, as this whole scene plays out. Verse 5, then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. The Egyptians considered the Nile River with reverence. It was like one of their gods, little g. The waters were supposed to enrich and enhance. Maybe the princes would consider the child a gift delivered by the river god. Mothers, put yourself in Jochebed's place. Can we imagine her maybe at a distance or some point away clutching her hands holding her breath, her heart pounding. How would the daughter of Pharaoh react? Would she have a hard heart toward this Hebrew child? Would she follow her father's decree and drown him right then and there? Or would she have a mother's heart? Trust God. Trust God. How many prayers did Jochebed offer? Verse 6. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. A common trait of humanity that transcends all creeds and race seems to have come to play here, that being compassion. It is said that the Egyptians regarded tenderness to an infant as a condition of acceptance on their day of reckoning. It is said that through archaeological digs, researchers have uncovered an ancient religious ritual associated with the god of the Nile. It included a statement of trust that many Egyptians may have repeated. I have afflicted no man. I have not made any man weep. I have not withheld milk 
from the mouths of sucklings. Could the princes have taken such a vow? Well, we certainly don't know for sure, but perhaps she took the baby from among the reeds as from the womb of the river God itself. Maybe that's how she viewed it. We picture here strong maternal emotions. It has been suggested that she didn't have or couldn't have any children of her own. Verse 7. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Let's assume that Miriam made this seem casual and impromptu. Also, that Jacobed played the part of a respectful, disinterested female slave. Mom, don't let your eyes shine with love when you come up there. No catch in your voice. No tears in your eyes. Verse 9. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. How about that? Wow, you get the official protection of Pharaoh's daughter. You get to be his nurse, and you get paid to do it. Was that just a coincidence? Here's someone smarter than me and what they said. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Proverbs 16, verse number 7. Now I realize that's a proverb, a general principle, a good general principle. Maybe it won't happen 100% of the time, but this I do not doubt. God's presence, his fingerprints were all over this. Jochebed had faith, but every indication is she had a creative plan. The old motto of the soldiers during the Revolutionary War applies here and to many areas of life. Trust in God, but keep your powder dry. In other words, place yourself in God's hands, but stay at the ready. To walk by faith does not mean you stop thinking. We need to trust in God for our finances, but that's no license to go out and spend foolishly. We need to trust in God for safety in our car, 
but we're not to drive carelessly. We need to trust God for our health, but that doesn't mean we smoke or eat whatever we want to. Acting foolishly, expecting God to bail you out if things go wrong, isn't what is meant by to walk in faith. Faith and careful planning using wise judgment go hand in hand. We are not told how long Jochebed kept Moses, but maybe verse 10 gives us a hint. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. This suggests that she may have had the little boy longer than the age of weaning or the age that he would come off of milk from the mother. It sounds like she had him while he was growing for a while. Maybe uh, the preschool years. Don't you know that Jochebed did everything she could during, during that time to establish his Hebrew roots and teach him about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But finally, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. The child Moses had a new home. And what a change of scenery it was from the security of his own family going to a place of strangers, from slaves' quarters to a palace. This wasn't like moving down the street or like moving to another city. This was like relocating to a different planet. At this point, the scriptures draw a curtain over these palace years as Moses grew up. In fact, the next verse speaks of Moses as being grown. Do you suppose there were lonely years for him at the palace? No comforting words from the lady who had loved him as a little child. No dad, no true dad around, or no brother or sister. Did tears ever soak into those royal sheets at night, do you suppose? And think of Jochebed as she handed him over. F.B. Meyer writes this, the mother's heart must have suffered bitterly as she let her boy go into the unknown world within the great palace gate. 
And very lonely must the little household have felt when the last kisses had been exchanged, the last instructions given, and the last prayer offered. Maybe there have been times that you have been separated or that there's been loss in your family. Maybe you have felt a jarring family event that la left you just grasping to make sense of things. Hear the psalmist. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30. We will see that joy in the morning in astonishing ways when we follow the life of Moses. And you can experience that morning in your life as you trust the great God of heaven. Hear the psalmist, in God I've put my trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 56, verse number 11. Our invitation is offered as we stand together.